You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They came to a town called Kittening on trains and on trucks, by wagon and by foot. They went door to door. They erected tents. They stood on soapboxes. They filled the streets, filled the square, barking out offers, glad-handing passers-by. Some may have been brought to the town called Kittening to do good, but most, surely, were lured by profit, the chance to make a buck. They were salesmen, teams, and throngs of salesmen. In January of 1926, the salesmen had read about a small town called Kittening in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Boston Globe, the town called Kittening in western Pennsylvania that they'd never heard of. The town called Kittening, with a population of about 7,000, the town called Kittening, where several weeks ago, 300 of the men suddenly went bald. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Today's episode, Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. Baldness, the barber's bane. The devil's top hat. Nature's crew cut. (laughs) Other terms I'm making up off the top of my head to amuse myself, mostly. Baldness is one of those things that's as serious to the person experiencing it as it is frivolous to everyone else. Like love. From a strictly physiological perspective, it's harmless. Yet, nearly any society in human history that managed to leave written records wrote about curing baldness. In 1862, Egyptologists discovered a 20-meter-long scroll between the legs of a mummy in Thebes. Known as the Ebers Papyrus, it is one of the oldest, most complete medical texts ever discovered. And among the 2,500-year-old formulas it contained for dealing with things like diabetes and cancer is a series of very in-depth, complicated, and, frankly, unpleasant cures for baldness. These include tinctures of various animal fats, applying boiled porcupine quills to the scalp, and eating sautéed dog leg. Animal legs are a somewhat recurrent theme in the history of baldness cures. Al-Kindi, the 9th century Baghdadi philosopher, thought that emulsifying goat hooves in vinegar and spreading it on the scalp would do the trick. 
go back 1,500 years from there and you'll find Hippocrates, the father of medicine. Uh, our usual asterisk applies. We don't really know a lot about Hippocrates, the man. There are a lot of rumors, legends, and conflicting records. When and how he died, from whom he learned medicine, who were his students, who were his children, these are all matters of debate. Even when it comes down to his actual medical legacy, matters are shrouded. The ideas, arguments, and protocols of his students appear to have been jumbled in with his own, so that it's very difficult to decipher which were his contributions and which were someone else's. Yet the myths around Hippocrates remain and even flourish, and one of the most prevalent of those surrounds his work on baldness. There are a lot of folks who, even today, say that Hippocrates was bald himself and that he obsessed over a cure, which he also tested upon like-afflicted friends. Those cures supposedly included mixtures of pigeon droppings and cumin, opium and roses, horseradish and beetroot. None of them are said to have succeeded, and some are said to have pissed off his test subjects, who may not have been happy being bald, but were far less so being bald and covered in bird shit. Hippocrates' alleged obsession with baldness cures is a great story, and I can't resist a great story, to my detriment. And it seems like I'm in good company there, because you can find various versions of this story spouted off dozens of times by folks both reputable and not. Yet when I've tried to actually source the shaggy dog tale back to its roots, pun quote met, it disappears like so much spray-on hair in a hot shower. Much as I want to believe it, I can't find any good reason to. Still, what was I going to do? Not tell you about it? Oh yeah, no, I guess that was an option. Well, next time, maybe. Whether Hippocrates specifically really toyed with such ridiculous remedies or not is one question, but that folks both historical and contemporary were willing to try rubbing just about anything on their noggins is undeniable. Equally undeniable and ancient is the urge to cover up one's cue ball. The comb-over is one of the longest living hairstyles, dating back to at least the first century BC. In April of 46 BC, Julius Caesar threw a party. He'd emerged victorious in wars against Gaul, Egypt, Pharnaces, King Juba, and Numidia, and accumulated what amounted to supreme rule over Rome. So it was time to celebrate, with food, cash bonuses for soldiers, horse races, music, theater, and a massive parade. In the procession, Caesar was anointed with his now famous laurel wreath. The laurel wreath was an old custom, usually worn by heroes on days of celebration, but Caesar bucked that tradition and began wearing the wreath on the regular. The Roman historian Suetonius states that this was because the emperor liked how it covered his bald spots. Other Caesars seem also to have taken up the wreath, but a different ruler managed to make a larger cultural contribution out of his alopecia. Louis XIV, a king who made fashion and beauty his main policy agendas, must have had a panic attack when he noticed his hair falling away at the tender age of 23. Rather than let things go gracefully, the Sun King appointed a royal wig maker, Georges Benet, who is quoted as saying, I would strip every head in the kingdom bald in order to adorn that of his majesty. Benet oversaw and created more than a thousand wigs for Louis the Amelba Marcos of toupees, and as they grew longer, larger, and more ostentatious, his court, and soon all French nobility, 
followed suit. By the 1660s, no Frenchman of any sort of means would be caught dead without a wig. And soon enough, that fad poured over the borders and all over Europe. In particular, it hit England, whose King Charles II returned from Paris after Oliver Cromwell's revolution ended, wearing this height of French fashion. The habit of adorning French heads with stylish wigs died out in France when a lot of those heads themselves started adorning the bottom of baskets in the French Revolution. But in English colonies, they were set into tradition. That's right. If you've ever asked yourself why barristers in British courts wear powdered wigs, the answer is because Louis XIV was embarrassed about going bald. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the late 19th century, fear of baldness in America and Europe became elevated to a public hysteria, with numerous journals, magazines, newspapers, and even academic papers waxing worriedly about whether there was a trend forming. The journal Science noted with astonished fear in 1886 that half of American businessmen were bald, with the expressed implication that they had once not been and soon would be more so. It's difficult to believe that the incidence of baldness was actually surging in the 1800s. Although it's not impossible, it's not as though it's something we have good data on. Perhaps rates were in fact increasing, although it's just, it's hard to imagine why that would have happened. There were plenty of theories at the time. Maybe men were wearing too many hats, or their hats were too tight. Maybe they weren't eating enough meat anymore. Maybe they were exercising too much. One particularly zany theory held that Victorian men were listening to too much horn and brass music, instruments that somehow might cause hair to shed. The most sophisticated theory, though, came down to evolution. That hair was meant to keep us warm, and that since we now had developed so many superior technological ways to accomplish that, we no longer needed to spend our energy and resources on creating thick mats. And in this quasi-scientific theory, we see the most likely explanation for the 19th century depilatory panic. Racism. Because, see, it wasn't really that men were going bald. It was that white men were going bald. When I first started researching this, I couldn't believe it. It just, it felt so ridiculous. But while I've had trouble getting my hands on really good numbers, it appears to be true. Caucasians experience male pattern baldness at levels way above Africans, Asians, Latinos, Native Americans. So the panic over whether baldness was becoming more prevalent, it was probably really about colonialism and westward expansion. 
it was, in all likelihood, about white men wondering why they were follically inferior to people of color. And so, naturally, a lot of the arguments concocted sought to say that baldness was a sign of superiority. White men went bald so much because they were more evolved, or because their brains were so big that they crowded out their hair. Or, the problem was that white men were too civilized, and that was, quote, effeminizing them. Never mind that rates of baldness among females are considerably lower than males. Regardless, with the panic at full steam, the normally dependable baldness cure industry entered overdrive. From the 1880s through, well, now, actually, I guess, hair growth became a booming cottage industry. Tonics and elixirs and devices galore popped up. There was snake oil and quaffs made of blended rats. There were electric brushes, heated hats, vacuum-powered suction cups meant to extract shy hairs from their hidey holes. Salesmen and hucksters set up shops, traveled with carnivals, sponsored radio shows, went door to door. And in 1926, when the word got out that 300 young men in Kittening, Pennsylvania had abruptly shed their locks, they descended upon the town like vultures on fresh meat. What was happening in Kittening? In 1919, there had been reports of a rash of balding in Portland, Oregon, but that had been attributable to the Great Flu. There was no flu in Kittening. According to the New York Times, physicians found no signs of viral or bacterial outbreak. So, scratch infection from your list of possible explanations. Go ahead and cross out parasite while you're at it. Barber's itch, a form of facial ringworm, was also quickly ruled out. If my years of watching House taught me anything, it's that the next suspect is environmental. But that too comes up short. There was a surprising amount of industry in kittening. A steelworks, a coal mine, a lumber mill, a brewery, a foundry. But no signs that the epidemic clustered around any one of those jobs in particular, or any particular neighborhood, water source, anything. So, not environmental either. Puzzled? So were the local physicians, according to newspapers all across the country, which reported that doctors were giving a litany of desperate, dart-throwing advice. Don't wear hats, of course. Wash your hair in room-temperature water, get lots of sun, avoid the sun, apply plenty of elbow grease. One doctor, quoted in the New York Times, suggested avoiding having your hair cut during the first quarter of the moon. Skeptics will smile at this, he noted, quite rightly. However, fools deride, philosophers investigate. All of America was caught up in the saga of the mysterious bald patch patch but we won't find the solution here. Instead, we have to trek around the world and back 25 years to 1901 Japan, which was hit by a similarly implacable curse. Writing for the London Spectator, special correspondent Louis Elkind explained that the cities of Chiba and Osaka were both affected, with thousands of people possessing perfectly normal heads of hair up until the point that they combed it and then it fell out in big clumps, with many finding themselves entirely bald in a matter of days. In contrast to kittening, the epidemic that seized Japan reportedly affected mostly women, but like its Pennsylvania counterpart, 
seemed to preferentially target the young. The Sydney Daily Telegraph gets more specific, claiming that the plague was particularly brutal on the geisha, whose livelihood and social standings were decimated by the condition. Luckily, according to the Australian paper, the renowned bacteriologist Kitasato Shibasaburo, who discovered the infectious agent of bubonic plague and helped create the first anti-diphtheria serum, was on the case. Hearing about this incredible phenomenon, Dr. Stuart Eldridge, an American physician living in Japan and a contributor to the journal Public Health Records, joined the pursuit. He contacted Dr. Kitasato, asking whether his office was on the case and, if so, what progress he had made. Dr. Kitasato's reply was confusing. He said that he had so far been unable to obtain proper material for study. Soon after, Dr. Kitasato wrote a piece for the Tokyo newspaper Jiji Shinpo. In it, he put his thumb on the problem. The so-called hair plague had come from Formosa, where a large number of Japanese troops had recently returned from deployment, but it was not born of any unique contagion. Instead, the alopecia in question was a side effect of secondary syphilis, which had spread somewhat from soldiers to geisha. Emphasis on somewhat because both Eldridge and Kitasato had, after a bit of poking, come to the real solution to the mystery. While secondary syphilis had created a small number of conspicuous cases of sudden baldness, it didn't explain the thousands of cases reported in the papers. Because those cases weren't real. They didn't exist. There was some barely noticeable spike in baldness in Osaka, that had been blown exponentially out of proportion by rumor mills and undisciplined reporting. Baldness is both serious and frivolous, tragical and comical. It's the kind of thing that makes for a story too good to pass up, even when it's also too good to be true. Back to Kittening, Pennsylvania, January of 1926. Before the New York Times, or the Los Angeles Times, or the Chicago Tribune, local doctors noticed that 12 men had reported losing clumps of hair around the same time. 12. An intriguing, noteworthy spike, but far, far short of 300. The local paper reported the story, which somehow spread to the New York Times, who quickly multiplied the affected number by 30 or so, and ta-da! an epidemic was born. The Times story ran on January 17th. Three days later, a town called Kittening released a press release, nationwide. They urged the people of America to listen to the truth. They urged the country's newspapers to issue a correction. And, most of all, they urged the hordes of salesmen who had come on trains and on trucks, by wagon and by foot, that went door-to-door, -door, that erected tents, that stood on soapboxes to kindly get the hell out. From the city of the century, Chicago, Illinois, this has been The Constant.